Mac Power Users, episode 627, Workflows with Adam Lissigore. Welcome to the Mac Power Users, everyone. This is David Sparks. Steven can't be here right now. Uh, in case you hadn't heard in his part of the country, they're dealing with ice storms right now and frozen trees and power outages. So Steven wanted everybody to know him and his family are doing great. The, he does have a gas generator, so they're getting by, but there's no internet and no ability for him to participate today. So it's just me, but we have a guest today. Welcome to the show, Adam Lissigore. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be back after what, like a um, near decade gap? How, when was the last time I was here? It has been a long time, and I feel bad yeah. about that. But you Oh, have, not at all. Not at all. You have been so busy. I uh, I just felt like you shot into orbit, you know, after you were on our show. That's the uh, halo, right? The, the yeah. bump that your show gives uh, a person like me. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happens. I mean, people come on our show, and then they win Oscars or, um, you know, <laughs> gold medals in the Olympics. That's right. I'm going for the EGOT, which means I have to learn how to sing um, and and perform as a theater actor at some point. I feel like you are a triple threat. Um, I, <laughs> I feel like you probably already have the tap dancing down, but you've never told anyone. You know, I I you um, I could send you a picture of my just like my early tap dancing portrait from, and this is legit. From I was probably four years old, and my mom was really into into having me take dance lessons for a while. She and, she, um, she was a visionary, and she saw it. Oh, she was a visionary, and so I'm so just like fully suited up in sequins and definitely like thick makeup, you know, to to make my lips pop and a sailor hat. I'm pretty sure, and I could send you a portrait, and you could use that for my headshot on the show. I think that will be now your headshot at Relay FM. And uh, that would be awesome. Um, do, <laughs> Perfect. Do, do you only podcast with jazz hands? Is that like the thing oh, that you do? Yeah, I mean, constant jazz hands is the only way, which I'm, which means I can't really like type or research anything while we're recording because the jazz hands are going. You know, there's no way around that. But yeah, yeah. But you know right. what? We all appreciate that you suffer for your art. <laughs> Adam, uh, you were on last on the show in 2015 episode 283 which is a long time ago and yeah uh, i love talking to you because you have uh you have really you have you have shot into orbit i mean you've got this company that's making advertising for uh all sorts of folks you've got some other projects you're working on we're going to talk today about today but it starts out you know as as a mac geek and a guy who loves to create stuff and when we had you on last time you were you were kind of your business was starting to take off but now you're a, you're a seasoned veteran, and I really want to hear how things have changed. Um, so we're going to sure. go over all those workflows today. Um, mm -hmm. and for more power users today, though, I have a, a hippie question for you. I want to ask you about, <laughs> you know, having done this for a while now, is it still the dream for you? You know, I mean, you you were just kind of launching into it, but now it's your every day. Sure. Uh, and I want to talk every day. Every day, it's more the dream than it was the day before. All right, honestly, it just keeps getting better. Excellent. Well, we're going to get into that more power users today, but uh, I guess we should just step back for for folks who don't know Adam uh, mm -hmm. Lonely Sandwich on Twitter. Um, hey, oh, it's just my, it's just my full name now. Oh, is it? It's not even Lonely Sandwich. Yeah. It's Adam Lissigore on Twitter. Cause at some point I just kind of needed to shed the Lonely Sandwich moniker from my early, my web 1.0 1, 1 days. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, I, when you said it's my full name, I got thinking, did you, did he change his legal name to Lonely Sandwich? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to live the brand, right? Yeah, exactly. And you know, and um, you know, then you, 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 Scott and Merlin took over the internet for a couple of years, <laughs> and um, yeah, whether well, you look nice today, our po- our early comedy nerd podcast, yeah, uh, it's so good. You know, I have gone back. Uh, I knew you were coming on, so I went back and listened to a couple of those episodes. And oh, nice. The three of you together are just so fast. It's just so funny, and like Mostly I could never. Them. I could never keep up with you guys. It's just, it's crazy how fast you guys go. It was really fun to make. And, you know, their artistry was being clever and funny and witty and fast. And my artistry was editing myself to sound like I was all of those things. (laughs) Yeah. Like five (laughs) takes and then the one lands. All right. That's the one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you were, and we talked about this on the last time you were on a show, but you were doing, I believe was it post-production video work in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's right. I had gone to film school at NYU. I came back out to Cal- Southern California, where I'm from, um, uh, a couple of years after that. And then I started working in visual effects right away. In post-production, I was editing commercials and working, doing compositing for movies and things. And then, you know, that's when I started making friends with all of the notable Mac people because I was so... Uh, you know, already had been indoctrinated into the to the Apple culture from an early age. So with this new social internet, I could I said su- I suddenly had access to all these people that I was revering, your John Gruber's and your Merlins and yeah. and the, all of the all of the mainstay you know Mac developers who I'm you know still still good friends with, um, and it was just this incredible opportunity to start making things in my framework um, that was beneficial to their framework. Yeah. And at one point you got involved. I I don't remember the name of the app, but you had an app that you made a commercial for. What was that Mm -hmm. app again? It was called Birdhouse. Thank you for remembering. Yes. That was a Twitter app, right? Right. Exactly. It was creative writing on Twitter. Um, And the whole impetus was that the iPhone didn't yet have copy and paste on it. So um, there wasn't a really good way for you to like draft your Twitter jokes in your notes app and then copy paste them over to whatever <laughs> Twitter client you were using. Um, you had to literally like transcribe them into the website on your desktop or something. I just, I'm just thinking about the fact that we didn't have copy and paste. It's Isn't that like, nuts? Yeah. Isn't that nuts? I mean, yeah. that really is the origin story of anything is uh, Jason Kotke, you know, again, guru of web, web point uh, web 1.0 still, still killing it he had he was talking on his on his blog one day about no copy paste on an iphone so let's put our um, imaginations to use as tech tech enthusiasts what could how could you solve this copy paste problem and i sort of like you know in the comments i wrote an idea for how i would solve copy and paste and then i thought well i'm a visual effects artist i could probably mock this up in an interesting way and I ended up making like, you know, a, a one minute video or something that used that language of the guided tour that Apple was doing with Bob Borchers um, early on. Um, and every, you know, but everybody knows that song. Ding, 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 yeah. ding, 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 ding. Yeah. And so I used all that, all the tropes, and I comped my mouth onto his mouth and I demoed um, what I thought copy, how I thought it would be a cool way to do copy paste on the iPhone. And that video, I launched it and it was funny and, and, um, and it got a lot of views, like on Vimeo, it got like 50,000 views and it got on dig on the first day. And that was my first taste of like, wow, I can make video for the tech world and they will appreciate it and enjoy it. And I want more of this. 
Uh, and then, you know, it sort of snowballed into other things and went into different directions, which is now, you know, culminated in my company, Sandwich, which has been around, Sandwich, which has been around for 12 years now. Yeah. And um, and you guys have a very kind of unique tech-focused look at products and how to share them. I still get giddy when I see like like you did a for a card company. I forget which one it was, but you were you were the you yeah. were the pitch man for exactly car. Twit uh, True Car. Um, yeah. So 2015, when I was last on your show, was that kind of like big um, that big um, nadir of of my like sort of prominence in 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 the, in that world. I was simultaneously the spokesman for True Car, which was being played all over TV all the time. And CenturyLink in you know certain regions of the country where CenturyLink is the is the the telecom you know provider yeah and so I had these two campaigns going at the same time it felt like I was oversaturated <laughs> you know I was like I was it was there was too much of me um, yeah I mean it's like you and like you know Tom Cruise you guys were both just <laughs> doing too yeah. much it was just a, it was such a bizarre way to experience life for the first time where i'm like i can count on the fact that at any given second of the day i'm going to be on big flat screens in a sports bar or at gyms or whatever and like that has a certain i don't know what to call it but it has a certain like sort of psychic effect on you if you know that your image is being um you know propagated that way well, what, what is that? I mean, just for, let's go down that rabbit hole for a second. I mean, is sure. it, is it like good? Is it draining? It's is it- certainly interesting. It's not do, it's not how I would want to be known. You know, like if everybody yeah. has a hidden desire to be um, universally beloved and, and famous, you know, shilling for a better way to buy a car is not the way that I would prefer to do that. Yeah. And then CenturyLink had its own baggage because, you know, most people hate their telecom. So they hate the guy that's telling them to buy faster internet speeds. So like that was kind of a um a little bit of a an inflection point for me where I had to figure out, is this what I, is this the rest of my trajectory? Is this where I want to be going? Or is this why I got into it in the first place? And really what the reason that it happened is because I had created this position of value for myself where I was like introducing these startups early on and like interesting tech products and neat tools that people wanted to know about. And then, you know, people with more money uh, and clout started coming and saying, Hey, well, you don't just have to do that for these smaller contexts. You can, we'll pay you a lot of money and you can do it for us. And then, you know, that's what's in the, in, in the, in the, in the lexicon, that's what's, that's what they call selling out, David. (laughs) Um, all right you know so i i really did sell out for a few years and it was this bizarre uh cacophonous kind of weird and and troubling way and it was the same time as i was experiencing other growing pains within my business and things were just like as much as it was lucrative and sort of fun and sort of fulfilled some psychological needs to be seen uh, it was also sort of detrimental. And I, and I think I got an opportunity after those few years to really step back and reevaluate. Yeah. It's like the, um, somewhere you lost the thread, right? Yeah. And also like, I basically devalued my own image and my presence as this storyteller for really interesting products that nobody knows about yet, which is ultimately why I wanted to do it in the first place. Yeah. Um, 
you know, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be on camera again for the first time in a long time, introducing this startup that I'm super bullish on, like just very jazzed. It's, um, it's like a web three, um, DeFi, uh, category company. That's got a lot of relevance in, in the tech space and the, um, and entrepreneurialism, entrepreneurialism, entrepreneurship, sorry. Yeah. And, uh, so that like, it's, it's taken this long for me to really feel like, okay, now I'm ready. I want to tell people about things myself again. Yeah, just please tell me it's not cryptocurrency of any sort. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest with you, it is crypto related, but it's it's in a it's in um it's in a hybrid space that makes a little bit more sense, which uh-huh. is I don't know if you want to get into crypto, most of the reason that we have problems with it is because it doesn't seem that the util- the utility that's being promised is actually there. Yeah. But this is one that prioritizes that that utility. Somebody has to do it right at some point, right? <laughs> yeah, it's happening. I mean, it's being doing, done so wrong in so many ways. And so many people are excited about the vision of it. And you can't really fault people for being excited about the vision. That's why Apple nerds are Apple nerds. Yeah. We were always excited about the vision of Apple, even when the hardware sucked. Yeah. And, and I really think that that kind of getting back to Apple is what what brings people in. It's like the idea of the empowerment of imagination. Like when Mm. I, I have spent years not using Apple gear. Like I I was there early. Then there was a period in the middle where I wasn't because of my day job. And like, I want to create stuff. I want to make music. I want to make videos. There's all the stuff I want to do. And when I was on the Mm. other platforms, it felt like all I did was spend my time defragging and doing whatever. And (laughs) Apple, you know, always seems to understand that people want these tools to create. And if you can get out of the way and just let people create, that's what's going to make them want to use them. And that's really the the genesis of my love affair with Apple products. 100%. And what they had to do at some point in the last 15 years was step back from, they had gone long on... um, this idea of the the hub, uh, the creator hub, yeah, and that everybody was going to be um, making movies, authoring DVDs, um, creating websites, making music all the time. That was the that was the Apple vision of the future in the early aughts. Um, but that's an overpromise, you know. That's a big vision, and when you're overpromising something like that, it can be really intimidating, and then. Um, anxiety creating for for a lot of people who are just consumers and i think that they you know they had they used to have this whole pro apps division that made best in class software for a lot of the professional industry to use and then at some point they just abandoned us (laughs) you know they were they were just like nope we got to refactor final cut and make it for consumers only and that's that's what it's going to be from now on and um you know, we got the message and Adobe kind of took over that space in a big way for, for professionals. Um, but Apple decided there's another way into this whole creative philosophy. And that is give everybody a tool to be creative with very low stakes at no, at no matter what entry point they want. And that, you know, essentially that's the phone. Yeah. Um, which is a, a you know an entire creative studio in your pocket, but you never have to feel like you have to be David Fincher while you're doing it. Yeah, there's some stuff to unpack there. I mean, first of all, the early aughts, the you know the digital hub, Apple envisioned to be a Mac on your desk, and at some right. point the rug got pulled out underneath them, and it became the cloud. 
Yeah. And I feel like they were, they were not the first to the party in realizing that. And it took them a while to catch up. Yeah. And they've never been, they've never been so strong on the services layer. Yeah. Um, or they've had a lot of bobbles. And so that causes some frustration along the way. Yeah. And that services thing now is a potential problem, but I want to put a pin in that and come back to that because the other thing you talked about is the, the democratization of creation. And while I get that they have kind of left the pros behind with what they've done in final cut, they have really opened up the world to people who just have a phone in their pocket. Yeah. And, um, and, and just think about how much more content creative content is being created orders of magnitude exponential yeah of what's being created now with that little tool uh as compared to what it was before when we thought that it was the iMac on your desk that was going to be your studio yeah my 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 oldest daughter is in the process of becoming a media teacher like a video mm-hmm. teacher and she's doing her student teaching right now and she's in a middle cool. school and she's telling me how um I'm asking her what kind of equipment they use, you know, because I remember when she was going through school, all the kids had the Canon SLR. That was like the thing. Every, mm-hmm. All the kids are the, you know, they beg their parents to get, get a Canon SLR. They all had the Canons and they would all walk around with those and shoot video. And she's like, Oh no, that's not even a thing anymore. She's like, they all use right. their phones, you know? Totally. And they should, why yeah. wouldn't they even, especially with cinematic mode now. Yeah. And, and the kids that don't have nerd parents that will buy them a Canon SLR still have the ability to shoot. Yep. Cinematic mode. Yeah. What do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Oh, big thumbs up. I don't, I hardly ever use it at all. I only use it when I'm in an environment that's conducive to telling cinematic stories. Otherwise it kind of gets in the way. You don't have the same lens, lens optionality, but geez, like I'll tell you a story. Like I was on a shoot in November, a, a bigger budget thing, lots of professional filmmaking tools, uh, then we then we're doing the, you know, there's we're shooting characters that are on a Zoom call, and then you have to figure out, okay, so how are we shooting the webcam, quote unquote, webcam side of this conversation? And you know, it used to be that it was a real head scratcher. Do we shoot it with the professional camera? Do we actually use the MacBook camera, which sucks? Yeah. What do we do? We started using the iPhone a couple of years ago for that because the iPhone camera looks great. Well, this time it was like we rigged up the iPhone automatic, like without any question. It was like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put Filmic, you know, use the app Filmic Pro for actually manually manually choosing all the technical settings and not having it be decided for us by the app. And then what was so cool was, you know, usually uh, the director is at their monitor. They're they're standing there in front of a, you know, professional grade um, director's monitor on a C-stand. Yeah. But when, you know, when you're shooting with an iPhone, you don't necessarily have it rigged up to a video feed. So, um we we rigged up my phone, my my 13 Pro to um to the to the table where the character's sitting at. We're shooting. Filmic Pro is up and running and then I'm standing there. It was on the beach in Malibu and um I was curious what time it was. <laughs> so I looked at my Apple Watch and as soon as I look at my Apple Watch, the Apple Watch app of Filmic Pro opens automatically and starts showing me a live feed of what my phone is <laughs> seeing. So that becomes my director's monitor yeah. in which I can change settings and start and stop recording. And that was that one, that was one of those moments of like, if I could show my, my 11 year old self, what's what just happened to me. Yeah. 
he would have just like his head would have exploded off his body. Yeah. I my wife and I have the world's most unpopular YouTube channel where we've been going like wandering on Disneyland together. And oh, I love um, it. And I've learned a couple things since we started. First of all, people that consume this content are young and they don't want people with gray hair make telling them where to eat their tacos. <laughs> but but it's okay. We, we're having a good time. But I, I got playing with cameras because I'm a nerd. And I, I have actually a nice Sony camera I use for the Max Sparky stuff. And I was mm-hmm. carrying around Disneyland, like terrified I was going to drop it. Like this is like, for me, a huge investment, this camera. Mm-hmm. And it's not even like the real fancy Sony camera. It's just the mm-hmm. consumer grade one. And But... But then when the iPhone 13 came out and I tried out cinematic mode, I'm like, this is it. This is all we need. Yeah. Like, if you want to shoot just my face and have a blurry background, I can. If I don't want to, it shoots fine. The only thing I need is a $50 battery in my pocket because it's going to you know, slurp down the battery. You know? But yeah, okay. It's crazy. It is crazy. And Disneyland is the, is the best place on earth. We went to, my, my family went for the first time in a couple of years because we used to be annual pass holders yeah. we went for the first time a couple of weekends ago and had the best day that i can remember in, in you know in all this time it's such a it's just a, such a joyful place this episode of the mac power users is brought to you by one password go to onepassword.com mpu to get 20 percent off your plan one password is the easiest way to store and use strong passwords with 1Password, you just log into sites and fill forms securely with a single click. I've been a user of 1Password since the application first launched. I've been a customer and subscriber the whole run. And I do so because they had a great idea to begin with. I remember meeting a guy at a little booth in tiny town of Macworld back when that was a thing. And they wanted to come up with a piece of software that made it both easy and secure to make and use passwords. And that's what 1Password became. Every time you go to a new website, you can have 1Password prepare for you a unique and strong password that it keeps track of for you so you don't have to. I'm now a 1Password for family subscriber, so everyone in my family uses it, and we're all doing a great job of keeping ourselves safe on the internet because of it. Not only does 1Password give you the ability to create those strong and unique passwords, With 1Password, you also have things like the Secure Vault, where you can put information in your 1Password vault on your device. That way, someone who gets possession to your phone doesn't necessarily have possession to your most unique and secret information. It's like a second wall of protection where you can put that medical data or social security numbers and other data that you really don't want other people accessing on your phone or iPad. Another great feature of 1Password for families is sharing made simple. It's just the easiest and safest way to share logins, passwords, and credit cards and other important information with people who matter the most without doing things like sticking a password in a text message. One of my favorite features is that when I update passwords, like I routinely change the bank password, it automatically gets updated in that shared vault with my wife, so she has access just as soon as I do. 1Password can also identify weak or duplicate passwords and websites where you can turn on two-factor authentication. It's just always looking for ways to help make you more secure. It even gives you an alert when accounts are compromised so you can update passwords right away. 1Password is trusted by millions of people, including the Sparks family. I just love the way that 1Password has been adopted by my wife and kids. They're not as techy as me, but they had no problem adapting and using the software. In fact, now they're telling their friends and family to get it. 
But don't just take my word for it. Head over to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps. You get 20% off and you can try one password for families yourself. So it's time to protect you and your family. Start using one password today. And thank you to one password for all of their support of the Mac power users. Okay. So during the ad break, I told you we're not going to go down the rabbit hole of Disneyland, <laughs> but I got to ask you one thing. What do you think of Batu? Oh, I we didn't get to go on it. There, the lines was too. The line was uh, too long. We just went on the Millennium Falcon ride again. Yeah. Did um, you? Did you? But just walking through isn't it amazing? Oh yeah, the world. Yeah, the 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 land, Star Wars land, is incredible. The production design is otherworldly, and it's unbelievable. Yeah, I feel like you could shoot a movie there. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they use all the tricks from movie production design yeah. uh, in terms of creating false depth and this sense of scale with the coloring of everything. I'm sure there's uh, endless YouTubes that you can watch about yeah. how they design the place. But when you're there in the, in the world, it's, you feel like you're in another planet. It's incredible. All right. So everybody who's firing up your email, you can stop right now. I'm going to, going to end there. <laughs> We're not going to turn into an hour on Disneyland. Uh, but the, uh, what we haven't talked about is it's been a few years since you've been on the show. What Apple gear are you using these days? Right. Okay. So the the M1, you know, I got one I got the first generation of the MacBook Pro M1 and it yeah. changed my game. It's unbelievable. I mean, I don't need to say I don't need to speak to the value props, you know it. Yeah. But it really is that great. 14 or 16? Um, uh 14. Okay. Yeah, I don't need a big guy. I have a 5K Retina display, at, you know, on my desk at home when I'm up here. Mm -hmm. My office is upstairs um, in the in the sort of converted attic. But, you know, so ever since my kids went back to school, um, I don't really need to be up here e extracting myself from them. Um, I can be anywhere around the house with my with my MacBook Pro. And, and that's that's my happy place. Also, I'm just not. I used to be very precious about my Zoom setup because we were doing a lot more, you know, face video calls sure. with clients and things during the pandemic. So I bought another, a second Blackmagic six, you know, Cinema Pocket Cinema six K camera. We had we already had one for sandwich. I bought another one in a nice Sigma lens and a tele, you know, and an um, a teleprompter rig so I could use my iPad as a second display, the whole thing. I sent you the link to that video that I'd made yeah. using the, the Luna display. Um, anyway, so my, my whole setup was very precious to me for the first, you know, era of the pandemic. I have lighting studio lighting set up in my office. So I look nice. I've got in like incredible, like lush depth of field, shallow depth of field for if I wanted to turn on my zoom, but you know, the, the camera on the, um, the new MacBook Pro is really good relative to the last one, and I don't really have that same vein need to be to look great and look better than everyone else on on a Zoom call. In fact, it's kind of embarrassing. Every time I would get on a call with clients or whoever, there would be the requisite uh, comment about my cinematic depth of field and my and my microphone. Um, you know, oh, what are we gonna do? My SM7B. Oh, you're, what are you going to record a podcast? What are you podcast, Mister Podcast over there? Yeah, and then and so like I just got sick of that conversation. Yeah. And Ooh, I'm just I'm not so... fancy like Adam. I don't have. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. You know exactly. There's that sort of like uh, resentment that uh, that subtext of resentment um, for me being an obsessive 
dork. Um, so like I, 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 I love going back to basics and just using whatever is available. Well, you talked about using the iPhone. Um, have you tried, there's a great app called camo. Camo. Lot, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're familiar with that one. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I tried it. Um, I used it for a bit. It's great. Um, I highly recommend it. Yeah. So for listeners, it's an app that if you haven't heard of it, you can connect your iPhone to your laptop or your Mac and then just stick your iPhone on and use the iPhone camera, which is like way better than way, way better, yeah. Than the um than anything you can find in a laptop in particular. I did mm. I kind of went through the same thing recently because I started I, I left the practice of law and I started doing a lot of Zoom calls yeah. with my labs members. Yeah, thanks. And I um I got an A Tim Mini from Blackmagic. It's yeah, a totally, it's a, yeah. I had one of those too. Yeah, it's a little HDMI switcher. I got the the real basic one. Mm-hmm. It's got four HDMI inputs in it. And I tried to do a couple calls with it. And every time I did, it was fiddly and, and like things mm-hmm. were going wrong. And I, uh, I realized, you know what, this is too much, you know? And yeah, people don't want to sit there, watch me mashing buttons. And even though the, Star- no, the Star Wars fade is very cool, I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's something, something's wrong when every time you get on a zoom call, there's like five minutes of prep involved to tech yeah. check everything. Yeah, you don't want that. You want to you want a turnkey solution. Um, I definitely went through down the ATEM Mini and ATEM Mini Pro rabbit hole as well. Um, those were hard to get for a while. I bet. Um, and I had a contact at Black Magic that we were you know that was sort of supporting us and sort of helped me get in the, the door. I ended up buying one off Craigslist. Um, but then I really just like from a lot of different like a, a lot of buying and trying cheaper versions of convert my HDMI signal into a, into a not crappy quality, you know, USB-C, um, you know, a digitizer or what, uh, what do they call it? A D to a converter. No, what yeah. do they call them? I forget what they call them, but anyway, you can, but there's one that I found that is, is legit quality, um, that replaces the ATEM if you're in the market. Well, I ended up using, cause I bought years ago, the one from, uh, starts with an E. It's a company that makes oh, Elgato, Elgato yeah. the Stream Deck guys. Yeah, and that one works really well for me. That's ultimately, I'm like, I already have this to a certain extent. I can put sure. my good camera up and have it available as another input in Zoom. Yeah, and uh, so I just kept that, and that's the one I'm using. Is that the one you're using? Um, no, it's not the Elgato. It's some off brand. You know, it's just some somebody that did the hardware good enough. Yeah, it's not a 4K image. I think it's. I know it's been a while to be honest with you, David, it's my hardware setup is kind of lar- largely gone untouched for the last months. Um, just because I, I like this idea of my studio in a box is my, and my MacBook pro. Well, what about that though, for folks listening who do want to get somewhat better at, um, zoom calls and, and video calls without, mm-hmm. you know, going and buying an A10 mini or a six K camera. Um, what are right. some basics that you would recommend? You know, I, I would first question whether it's really worth it to you. It, it's worth it if you're doing a video podcast yeah. for sure. You know, if you're a YouTuber, then definitely look into it. And if you want to do something without breaking the bank, then you just need a camera with a high, like a pretty decent quality sensor, um, with an HDMI out and then whatever the bare minimum, um, of HDMI converter, uh, to get that video signal into your computer, turn it into a zoom, zoom input. And then you're going to want to pay attention to your sound also. And, and the normal podcast mic stuff, 
Um, my favorite is the uh, Audio-Technica ATR2100X is a USB-C mic, which means you don't need that um, that XLR, to, you know, analog to digital converter. Yeah, that's a big, and that saves you a bunch of stuff on your desk, right? And it's just such a good and sweet sounding mic um, for all purposes that really is good at isolating your voice, which is the important part, and working with a, a whole lot of dynamic range. And it's only a hundred bucks and you can find bundles on Amazon that, you know, will throw in, uh, you know, a mic pop filter or a stand or something and clamp to your desk. I actually own one Such of those. A workhorse. I, I own one of those. And sometimes we have guests on the show that are not audio people. Mm-hmm. I, I mail it to them. <laughs> oh yeah. We do the same. I have, I have two of those kits identical and one of them is in a box and it's ready to ship around for my podcast. Yeah. That's a good one. And and we have a lot of people that listen like our college professors and like they do need to like up their game a little bit, but yeah, they, they also don't have the budget to go crazy. And I think those are really good bits of advice. The thing I would add to that is also, I think lighting is a huge deal for this stuff. Oh, definitely. So when, um, when my son's zoom school started, you know, when his, when his, uh, school figured out their zoom situation and all of the teachers, had to onboard to this whole process. Um, his teacher and and the teacher's aide, their situation at home was dire. Like you couldn't hear them, you couldn't see them. Everything about it was bad. So I ended up just kind of voluntarily. I asked first if I could help, but I I voluntarily kind of sent them both a little kit, a, like a care package. Okay. With um with this, you know, and the, the mic that I sent both of them is a really good one and it doesn't require a stand or anything. It's all very compact, but it's the Sam's Samson. Let me see what the model is. I love this mic. And now that zoom school is over, my son uses it for YouTubing and he does Minecraft content, of course, of course. but this Samson mic is called the Samson meteor mic. It's a USB little it looks like a little capsule like an oversized pill capsule sure it's got a built-in little stand and it sounds dynamite and it gets close to your mouth if you need it and then and it's it's everything you need and then i sent one of the i sent uh i sent both of them a little logitech webcam as well and and it just that was a necessity for me as a parent for my child to be able to hear and see the you yeah. know their their education and and it was i'm so happy that that they used that stuff cuz it was it, it, it upped the game yeah and I, and i do think that this is here to stay i mean even as people yeah. are starting to go back to work i think now that the the bottle has been uncorked you know video meetings are going to continue and uh sure it's only going to get worse my daughter uh my daughter, my one of my other daughters at UCLA, and she says some of the people have such good cameras that you can see them when they fall asleep on the desk. You know, <laughs> you can, like Ferris Bueller, you can see the drool on the desk. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I was talking to this uh, startup for a while. This startup based in Long Beach called um, Oasis, and what they're doing is this AI generated facial, you know, facial capture, synthetic avatar in real time. Wow. which is basically a plug-in which runs on an M1 box not any other hardware yet. It's a, it's a real-time capture and and um avatar reproduction of your of your image. So what that means is that I get I basically have to go into a studio and do a, like a 3D professional 3D scan of my face under the great greatest lighting conditions, make sure I look pretty. 
and then they turn that into an avatar and then you plug it into your zoom uh software you're uh and then when you're like if you look like absolute garbage at any point even in low light uh situations it'll do it'll do real time face capture and turn that into this synthetic version of yourself and is it indistinguishable <laughs> from magic no it is not you can there's something there's like five degrees off of reality yeah but as it gets better it's it's certainly gonna it's an impressive um you know preview for the for what the for the what the roadmap is is actually gonna be and i think that's why apple does memoji with cartoon face right sure like, yeah don't try and approach reality because you're never going to get there at this point yeah exactly you're going to fall deep in that uncanny valley but it's fun as a dog and pony show, honestly. It, yeah. it is. It kind of is. It's not something that I would use. It's not something that I wanted to necessarily work with as a, as a client. But the the tech is promising. There's a lot of that going on right now. In there's, and we've worked with a couple of these startups doing that synthetic avatar kind of stuff. And you know, as scary as it is when you relate it to deep fake and and nefarious purposes. Um, under the right conditions in the right hands, it's actually quite fun and like sci-fi and cool. Now have you, cause you do have a lot of startups in, that you contact. Have you done the thing yet where you do the metaverse meetings where you show up mm-hmm. as cartoon sandwich and, you know, do- we haven't done meetings that way. We've done, uh, back, you know, a few years ago when I started getting into Oculus and VR and thought it was like just around the corner that everybody would be doing this. I did like, sure. I met up with friends a couple of times in a virtual space and is whatever, you know, it's fine. It's, it's a demo and it, you know, it's a vision and it'll become reality maybe five, 10 years from now. Yeah. I mean, um, we worked with a, we worked with a client, um, called Mebo recently, an Amsterdam based company that basically like takes that concept of a virtual meeting space and, it doesn't turn you into a cartoon version of yourself. You you're basically a TV, like a vintage TV uh, attached to a telepresence robot, like a synthetic uh, CG telepresence robot wandering around in these shared virtual spaces, which are like fun. There's like a campsite and a pirate bay and like all these fun, like sort of goofy, silly places. But your video feed is what your head is. So it's more like you're, you're a head unit on on a synthetic robot body and that's where you can do meetings with your team and it's fun. they're fun i mean like we we did a video where the whole sandwich team is in it um and you know using the product to explain the product kind of thing yeah uh that was neat i played with the oculus to see if i could actually do work in it cuz i feel like it's really a gaming machine or anything else sure. i have the oculus one i don't have the newest one but mm-hmm. there's an app for it and i will look up the name and and put it in the show notes, but it's a app that will display your max display inside sure. the Oculus. Yeah. There's a couple, there's virtual desktop and, uh, I forget what the other one is called, but I've tried those too. And they're very cool. Yeah. Virtual desktops, the one I did. And uh, at one point I had to put me on a spaceship that was, um, <laughs> orbiting the earth and I was sitting in my command chair and my, my big max screen was right in front of me. And, the problem was after about thirty minutes or so, you need you need a break because it's too pixelated, yeah. right? Um, but you know, you know, there's a rumor of Apple making eight K monitors into one of these things that it's going to charge wow. a lot of money for at some point. Yeah. And like the, the, I could see, you know, in my lifetime that 
If you want to work in Machu Picchu, you could convincingly do so by strapping something to your face. Yeah, I think we're so far away from removing all of the cruft of that experience so it does actually feel closer to reality. Um, Because it's just for for a long time, it's going to be laden with all this heaviness. Yeah. Who knows what what Apple is going to bring, you know, to the world when they when this hardware becomes real. But there's so much to get around, so much burden. Yeah, and it's very much early days. So I don't think even the conventions are settled now. I mean, there's never been a platform that's so new since maybe the mouse and trackpad. You know. Right. Yeah, where the rules are being written and. Yeah, it's it's not for most people. That's the thing. It's you know, nine nine out of ten people who try on a VR headset are going to be like, "Oof, take this off." Yeah, I don't I don't want more than fifteen minutes of this. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander. Go to textexpander.com/podcast to learn more and get started with twenty percent off your first year. With Text Expander, you can keep it consistent and accurate. In our fast-paced world, things change constantly, and errors in messaging often have significant consequences. Text Expander lets you make new approved messaging available to every team member instantly with just a few keystrokes, ensuring your team remains consistent, current, and accurate. I'm going through that myself. I've got a few people helping me with customer support at Max Parkey, and we have a Text Expander for Teams account. That way, when I make changes to the text expander snippets that go out for customer support emails, everybody always gets the most accurate and up-to-date information. I love that I don't have to send out new emails or call the customer support people to tell them about changes. I just change the snippets and everything is taken care of automatically. Team Max Sparky is a little team, but there are teams of thousands using Text Expander exactly this way. Whether you have a big team or a little team, Text Expander can help. And with Text Expander, you can get your message right every time, expand content that corrects your spelling, and keeps your language consistent with just a few keystrokes. Your team members will consistently know the right message for the right person at the right time without relying on memory or copy and paste. There's so much to love about Text Expander, whether you want to automate your Mac or just get better at answering email, it is there for you. And the best thing is show listeners get 20% off their first year. So head over to textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander and get that 20% off. Once again, that is textexpander.com slash podcast and check it out. Thank you, Text Expander, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. Adam, you're doing more than just the sandwich videos, though. You've got a couple creative projects you're working on right now. I certainly do. Like at the end of last year, I got, I did a client project for sandwich. That was, um, the most movie like sort of cinematic story that I'd been able to tell, I think uh, to date. And I had such a good experience with it that I started to get that feeling that, you know, maybe I should, maybe I could sort of venture into that space of, of narrative storytelling over the years. Um, people have asked, you know, you, you, you own a creative studio, you make videos professionally, you seem to be good at it. It, it's natural that people like ask, okay, when are you going to make a movie? Because that seems to be the pinnacle of what, of what this, you know, what you can do with this craft. Yeah. Um, and so my, my response to that was always like that. I was very intimidated by it and that rather than trying to stay, you know, veer out of my lane and potentially, you know, f- do something that I'm not great at. 
I actually enjoy what I am good at. So like, I'm just going to keep, keep doing that and let other people do the movie making. Yeah, it's kind of like but you're in your the first, pond. You're good at your, yeah, exactly. And you yeah. know, why stay? It's very comfortable and, and it's working out well for, uh, why not? Why, why leave that? It's, it's working out well for me. So what changed? Yeah. It was this project that I did for a big tech platform, a big, um, you know, software development collaborative, uh, it's API platform called Postman. And they just, they encouraged us to tell really movie like stories. And I directed those and it was so joyful and fun for me that I was like, I could get into this. I could do more of this. So, um, so yeah, I, and, and a friend who's one of our, um, directors, our outside directors that make spots with us at sandwich, she and I started writing a movie together and it's been incredibly fun. Um, and so what part of this is that we, we at sandwich we use a screenwriting app called highland which is john august the famous screenwriters sure um has he been on your show yeah he's been a guest yeah oh, okay okay great <laughs> yeah that makes sense there's there's like a few of us in the in this intersection that uh we all know each other and and i i figure probably all of them have have been on your show anyway his his um his screenwriting software is the best in class but it's not necessarily for collaborative purposes and we use it old school at sandwich we'll write in the doc we'll put the doc in in you know the doc lives in dropbox we'll export a pdf for clients etc yeah so i needed to find something you know writing with a partner um this this movie that i'm working on i needed to find something that actually was truly like native cloud-based collaborative so I Google, I literally Googled how do screenwriters work together. And I remember back in the day when David Wayne, the director, um, David Wayne was on your show right before I was actually. And, and he talked about how he and his writing collaborators work in Google doc and yeah. they'll, you know, they would, they would just kind of use that as their software of choice because nothing else was really great or existed. Yeah. And at that time they were using like color coding their, whoever they had different color codes. They had a very right. kind of like weird system because there wasn't yeah, a lot all of these options. ad hoc Byzantine solutions to yeah. problems that should have been solved. And I remembered that from back in the day, but I thought there must be something now that's be- that's better than that. And so I ended up Googling, you know, how do screenwriters work together collaboratively? And there was a blog post from this company's website called arc studio pro. I had not really heard of them. But the brand was nice. The software seemed promising. And I ended up just kind of biting the bullet and getting a subscription for me and my writing partner. Um, and it's great. It's great software. And what it is, it's it's honestly, it's just like a Mac app that's, and they have an iOS app as well. That's a cloud-based platform for exactly that, for working on drafts of your script together, um, where all of the changes are visible and saved. It's non-destructive. It's all tracked. You can even run diffs, you know, like uh, GitHub style diffs against versions and see what's changed. There's a whole like story planning outline uh, portion of the software that's really robust and cool. You can track all of the characters and all of the themes and all of the act structure and all this stuff all built into one fairly simplified app that's it's cleanly designed. And so I signed up for the the app and I got an email the next day from the founder, Mikhail, uh, this German guy. And he said, Hey, I'm a fan of sandwich. So very exciting that you're using our app. Let us know, uh, if you need anything. And it's just one of those awesome 
Mac developers that will be responsive to their customers' needs. Yeah. It's my favorite. And I said, I need to, like, there's one person I can think of. I told this guy, there's what, there's somebody I can think of that has to be using this app if, if they aren't already. And he's a friend of mine named David Wayne. And he goes, oh, yeah, David uses the app and he emails us all the time and we do bug fixes and features for him. Um, so it's t- totally aligned, totally make, made sense that this is yeah. his tool of choice. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, the the biggest asset to the Mac community is is the developers. It's not Apple. I think that's what people hundred percent. And it's always been that way, right? Yeah. And, and honestly, that's what they're relying on if they ever make these goggle things. I mean, they're relying on those developers to make it good. Yeah, and they do it in the right way, right? Where they, you know, through the developer community, they're releasing the hardware in advance. And they're really like fostering those relationships with the big ones so that they get, so that they can, they can launch to the public with best in class software. Yeah. Um, you know, cause you can't, you can't launch an empty box. You can't do the whole Oculus developer kit. We can't wait to see what you build. That's so boring. And that's so like 10 years ago. Yeah. So Arc Studio, I wasn't even aware of this app. Really cool. Um, and it's a one person company and he has one technical, you know, guy working for him. He's super smart, super nice. He happens to be in LA right now. We had lunch last week. Um, and he's in it for the right reasons. His he he wants to help storytellers um, you know, have a better tool when all of the other tools kind of get in the way. Yeah. Uh, what was the app that David Wayne was bemoaning? It was the one that everybody uses. Um Oh, Final Draft. Yeah, Final Draft. Is that still yeah, a thing? Yeah, it's garbage. It's the dinosaur of the space. And we we talked about this a lot when I had lunch with with him too is is that this it's a fear-based industry really, especially in your TV writing. Yeah. Um is that everybody has this fear when they're getting into it that if they don't do exactly the right things um suggested by the protocols and the tradition of the industry, they're not going to be welcome. You know, they're going to be rejected by the industry. Yeah, they won't even get through the front door. Exactly. So uh, it's, it's very strange because creative storytelling is, should be full of this magic maverick philosophy and enterprise. We should all be trailblazers, including in the tools that we use. But for some reason, these behemoths like, um, final draft, and it used to be avid for a long time. Um, even pro tools, they give you this um, false uh, this this false reality that unless you use that tool, you won't be um, at the echelon that you should be in in your in your professional life. So, what's the hardest thing about going from having a success, successful sandwich video business to saying I want to write a feature film? I mean, how do you change that gear? Um, honestly, it's just time management. I want to be doing when, when I started working on this movie, I wanted to be doing it all the time, but I can't, I run a business and I have a team and I, and I manage like we're doing, you know, we manage like 15, 20 clients at the same time. And I'm sort of the, the creative head of all of those projects with my, with my cohort, um, and my right hand man, JP, who's my, who was my first hire. We're sort of managing everything creatively on every project. Um, and so that is the thing that that's just, you know feeds my family, so it's kind of hard to find the time to step away, and I end up just doing it at the end of my day when everybody else is asleep, and I should be watching you know Netflix or <laughs> you know streamers. You know, like there's so much good stuff to watch on TV, and I try to get as much as I can. But really, 
if I want to, if I want to tap in and add value to my life and do the things, um, and fulfill the potential that I have right now while I'm 44 years old, I just kind of have to stay up late and do yes. it. Well, it's, it's funny. Cause like, you know, to a lot of people you've made it right. Sandwich video, you made it, but mm-hmm. even you need to have a side hustle, right? You've got to have a thing that you're working sure. on in the background. Well, you know, and I did, it wasn't forced though. That's the thing yeah. about a side hustle is like, you, you can't just go into it thinking I need to have a side hustle. Yeah. I, I think you, the thing that's going to be the most gratifying is the thing that you accidentally find when you're open to the opportunity. Yeah. How's it going? The storytelling aspect, the writing of this movie is so fun and we feel like we're making something good. Um, so that's, that's a good feeling. You know, I, I read a movie we're writing a, a romantic comedy and um, the, the the writing partner I'm working with is exceptionally talented at, at twisting the genre and, and making extremely high quality things in this genre that nobody really has seen before. Nice. Um, so that's what we're doing. And it's not a genre that I was familiar with at all, but I did the research and I read this excellent book called writing the Ro- writing the romantic comedy learned all the rules, did a ton of movie watching. Um, and it's really just so fun to play in that sandbox and build a different set of muscles. Then, you know, I need to communicate this tech platform or this hardware product to, to an audience so that they will buy it. It's just, it's, it's a different game and it's so fun to play. No, I, I really believe that like creative people need to do that. You need to constantly challenge yourself and do different things. And yeah. And I, I think that's what, you know, to be a Mac nerd for a minute, I think a lot that ties a lot of Mac people together. If you get a room full of people that are like Apple enthusiasts, they all have some form of creativity Yeah, and it could be the way that, you know, their job or it could be something they do on the side, but everybody wants to create stuff. And it, it totally makes sense to me that you would be looking for this challenge now. So do you have, uh, you know, do you, I guess at this point you're writing the script, but then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that needs to happen. Eventually you're starting to gear up for that too. That's a whole end of the, the endeavor that I have no idea how it works. It's just, I think that at some point I'll want to kind of, you know, reach out to my network and embrace my community in this regard and see, see what's possible, see who's interested. It's you know, getting movies financed or that whole, the business side of things is not something I'm familiar with at all because my whole business is self-sustaining. You know, my, my clients come to us, we manage our deals, we do the output. It's a very direct relationship. I don't think there's anything direct in movie making or in movie distribution. Everything is multi-party. Everything has multiple financiers and there's a whole gatekeeping system um, that you kind of have to adhere to. And I'm interested, honestly, in, in whether that can be subverted or whether it can be disrupted a bit. Um, n- not in a Kickstarter sense, but in like, um, like what are alternate methods of getting, getting the work noticed or getting the work seen or inviting other people to participate in the vision? I'm curious whether there's something to do there. Yeah, and also we live in this world. I don't know anything about this, but all the like streaming companies – that also want content. There's like a lot of places to go at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's such a fertile field for interesting content to be made. And just the idea that you can 
you come up with an idea and then a Netflix or Showtime or, you know, any of an Amazon or, or others crackle, who cares? Like any streamer would pay money to, to produce your idea is, is very enticing. And I'm looking at the, um, the website here for your software, um, for arc studio. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it looks like it's got everything. It's not the planning. So you really don't use probably any software except this one app to do this writing. For for this project, yeah. Everything is kind of, I feel like, purpose-based. So we're going to keep using Highland for Sandwich. Yeah. Um, we really love it. It's such a lean and simple and well-crafted product. But for collaborative stuff, definitely, this is it's it's just really thoughtful and great. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. Go to indeed.com slash MPU to get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post. Hunting down answers to your questions can be rewarding. When it comes to hiring, you don't always have as much time as you'd like to spend finding a great candidate with the right skills. That's why there's Indeed, the best hiring partner your team can get. If you're hiring, you need Indeed, because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements, or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. With Indeed, you can find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. It's pretty incredible how easy Indeed makes it to hire great talent. According to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site worldwide. And here's another stat for you. Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. So start hiring right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash MPU. And that offer is valid through March 31st. So go to Indeed.com slash MPU to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Once again, Indeed.com slash MPU. Terms and conditions do apply. Do you need to hire? You need Indeed. And our thanks to Indeed for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Well, at the same time that you're building this this great creative endeavor, you're also continuing to run Sandwich. How many employees do you have now? Right now, I think we're at 17 or 18 people. And, you know, we're just taking the opportunity to grow, but slowly as always. Um, we're bootstrapped, never outside money. And so I never want to just find myself with more overhead than I can support. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I love my team. It's like, it's this rare time of a business where you just feel like everybody on your team serves a purpose and everybody works together and there's no disharmony. And of course, as soon as I get off this call, I'm just going to get like a frantic slack yeah. <laughs> that, you know, it's two people are angry at each other or whatever, but I just don't think it's it's going to happen. We're all we're all pretty harmonious, and I wonder how much this new um, era of co working remotely is is playing a part of that. 
how did COVID affect your business? I mean, were you, did you have a studio space for everybody before? Or? Yeah, we did. And we still do. Um, we've, we've kept the space, um, at the, so at first it was very scary because like right away, like three clients that we had lined up said, okay, we're going to have to take a pause on this and figure out what's happening. Yeah. I have four units in this building. One of them had just, we, I had just signed a lease for to, to have more, um, you know, open floor plan office space. What we decided to do instead is, is, um, build a little green screen stage in that unit. And, uh, you know, have our own self-contained place to shoot things as needed in a very, in a much smaller scale. So what I did was like, you know, back in the 20, I want to say 2014 or 2015, I made a sandwich, made a, a video to sort of help launch Slack, um, to a wider audience. Yeah. And we put ourselves in that video. This is how Slack, this is how sandwich uses Slack sandwich loves Slack. I think it was called. And, um, it was kind of the mockumentary style and it was cute and funny. And a lot of people enjoyed it. A lot of people learned about Slack that way. And so it ended up being beneficial for the, for Slack as a company. It reinforced my own, you know, sort of pre-existing relationship with Stuart Butterfield, who was a fan. Um, and at the beginning of the pandemic, what I decided to do kind of a hail Mary, we have to figure something out was, um, I wanted to tell the story of how sandwich is going to use Slack to stay alive, you know, to stay in business and thrive during this time where we're all at home. Yeah. So what I did was I shot a little, very short scene that was a proof of concept with narration and, um, this, it, uh, like a very like basic rough proof of concept for a video that could be, that it could exist. that tells the story of sandwich using Slack from home. It was called Sandwich WFH, Work From Home. And um, I sent it to him. I just like DM'd it to him. We cut it together. We put music and made it nice and exciting. I DM'd it to him and I said, what do you think? Can we do this? <laughs> and he said, I'm in. Greenlit. What do you need? Yeah. And it was that first like sigh of relief. Like, okay, first we've got money coming in. It was also this opportunity to, to do a story, do t- storytelling in a new or make video making in a new way we'd never done before that could possibly sustain us during this time that we could do for other clients that we could build out as a whole operation within the, the, the existing company and keep doing the creative work that we need to do. So we made that video. It was a f- an incredible process getting everybody on board and everybody learning the production tools. We made a little mini documentary about it, um, which you can find on our website at sandwich.co slash lunchbox and lunch block lunchbox is, is, is what we decided to brand this new method of production, Okay, you know, using all remote techniques. And uh, you know, we finished the video. It went really well. And the few clients that had sort of say said, you know, before when the pandemic started, the few clients that said, no, we're going to hold off. We were able to show them that piece as a proof of concept for their work and say, look what is possible if you'll trust us to do this on behalf of you and your project. And then, you know, it, it sort of like proved itself out in that way. So we were able to do that remote style, that lunchbox style of work for these other clients and keep the company going and thrive during that year. So what's the backbone of all this? So you've got, is it, is it Slack? 
Um, the backbone is it's, it's, I mean, honestly, it's mostly zoom cause it requires that remote communication, that real time video communication. Yeah. Um, and zoom is just the most, the most technically sound version of, of that, um, in terms of like not breaking yeah. software that works like, you know, it's a tank. And uh, then, so we've got, we can take whatever camera it is, whether it's our, Airy, you know, Amira or the black magics that we were using for a while during the pandemic. Um, any of these capture cameras, those higher end cameras run, you know, get those using the ATEM hardware, get them into the MacBook pro that's on set into the zoom feed. And then, um, you know, at this point, all of our camera crews and our sound crews are adept at getting those feeds into the, into the box. It wasn't that way f- always, but now everybody sure. knows the deal, knows how to do it. I forget. There's a multi. There's multiple pieces of the of the equation that go to turning that into a, a Zoom feed. There's like OBS, which is the open source broadcast um, software that a lot of streamers use. Yeah. Uh, of course, Zoom. There's the A or the Blackmagic software, and then you're basically the what on on a set on a film set you have what's called video village or um or for the client it's called client village and that's where all the video monitors are set up so that people the important people can review everything watch it happen in real time without being next to the crew and next to the camera gotcha and real the really the innovation was just taking video village and client village and putting them on zoom so our clients could just be wherever and feel like they're on set with us. And even a director can be wherever at home. The number of times that in the past two years that I've just been creative directing a a shoot from, from my pajamas, sitting in my living room, drinking coffee is again, one of those things that you wish you could go back in time and show to your early self and say, look, what's going to be possible in the future. And that's just all a question of getting all those feeds into zoom. Yeah. And and making sure that it feels real time enough that the 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 contemp the contemporaneous sort of synchronous flow of communication is is going on and not causing additional friction to the process. Have you um have you heard from other people in your industry, like when they see this asking you for details? I would imagine. I'm sure. I mean like it's it's kind of like NFTs. I was um, I did a talk at, at, to a class at USC uh, uh, yesterday, and they asked, like, how would you tell the story of, U- of NFTs? And I made a joke that, like, the people who are NFT into NFT, their favorite thing to do is talk about NFT ad, ad nauseum. Yeah. And it felt like for a, for a while, the people who were doing remote production it was just their favorite thing to talk about yeah. for a while to <laughs> right. each other, to people who needed to know. Yeah. So I was on multiple podcasts and, you know, like just did a lot of talking about that remote production solution. Um, cause everybody wanted to share knowledge. It was kind of a beautiful thing. It was like, let, we're all in this together. Let's, let's help each other figure it out. Yeah. And it's always the scrappy little companies that figure this stuff out first anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I had that when I was in the, when I was doing trial work, I had a case against a big firm and they showed up with like two tech people and an associate and, and all, it was like a whole team of people there and mm-hmm. they didn't have the right cable. And I used, um, there's a little app for the iPad called trial pad that was really good mm. for lawyers. I, I used one app and I did the whole case on it. And at, at this, 
about halfway through the trial, the other lawyer says, so uh, what is that app you're using? <laughs> you know, That's fun, isn't that? I love it. The yeah. small developers solving these big problems just because yeah. they were in the right place. They saw the right opportunity. Do you know, um, we just did a commercial that's not out yet, but a really cool company called Case Text. Do you know them? That's familiar to me. What, what do they do? It basically just, it's AI enabled um, case history search. It's it's basically your disruptor to LexisNexis. Oh, that, okay, gotcha, um, yeah. We'll go and, you know, as you're writing a brief, it helps you search through um, legal history and helps you write your brief using, you know, human language as you're typing. It's, it's yeah. very cool. The, the industry could use that. So I, I hope oh, definitely. it takes off. Yeah, it's a dinosaur. I can't wait for you to see that video and and hear if you think that it's plausible. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they're 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 pretty well regarded, I think, in the in the, in their sphere. Yeah, well, towards the end of my legal career, I was mainly transactional, so I, I wasn't as deep mm. in that. But I, sure, I, I had like rolled my own in numbers. I had all these different ways of doing it over the years. But but yeah, definitely. So you guys are are communicating and zooming. What about is Zoom? You know, what are the what are the sticky points for Zoom? If someone's listening and they're trying to use Zoom and get better at it, what, what's like two or three bits of advice you'd give them to make Zoom better? Hmm. I think maybe just try to get used to your cadence, which the, the cadence of like, click this button to join the meeting. Okay. Is my audio, is my video automatically going to be going to be turned on? Is, is, um, is my image mirrored? You know, just kind of, I think, click all the bells and whistles and try to get to know the software as much as possible, which most people do any, anyway, I think Yeah, we've all been spending a lot of time with zoom over the past couple of years. So I think, and it, and it keeps making marginal improvements. Um, you know, to the point where I know that if I call, if I join a call from my iPhone, if I join a zoom from my iPhone, it's going to ask me first, whether I want to automatically start video uh, or not. Do I want to join the call with video on or off? Yeah, I don't think that was always there, and so you would find these situ yourself in these situations where you're you're turning your cameras on and you look like garbage, and you just wish it would go away. You absolutely like throw your phone on the ground so that you so so that the other people don't see you. Yeah, yeah. I would just say like try to get the muscle memory going of of um, how to join and end a call. Yeah, there there definitely are not as many dragons when you run Zoom as there were at the beginning. Definitely. Yeah. But at the same time, I always wonder how did like Skype blow it, right? I mean, they had that market <laughs> and somehow they didn't, you know. I think it's the innovators innovators dilemma, right? They just they rested on their loyals, they their laurels, they didn't have to innovate anymore when they were Microsoft. They just continue to be the same Skype that they've always been. Everything with that Microsoft, every software that Microsoft has seems so crufty and um, tacked together with 14 different layers that never were meant to talk to each other. Um, and it's really frustrating. Yeah. And, and, that, and one of the reasons for that, I, I talked to a Microsoft guy about this once, is backwards compatibility. You know, um, you know no, naturally. People who buy Microsoft stuff, they want their Word 95 documents to still open. And there's a cost to that you know yeah but um and i always wonder is that going to be apple's problem at some point you know as they get bigger and the iphone gets older i don't know i don't think so yeah. i you know they're the ones who are going to pull the the headphone jack yeah that's true 
You said earlier about Apple, you know, not being necessarily a services company, but now they are, right? Every time they do their quarterly earnings call, they talk about how much money they make on services. As a as a sure. longtime Apple guy, does that concern you at all? Are you worried they're getting too into that? Not at all. No. I mean, services are essentially a utility, and I want to be able to trust that my utility provider can be stable and solid as a rock. Um, and they certainly are now in ways that they weren't in the past years. Yeah. You, you know, sync is sync has been a nightmare over the past decades, you know, and, and it's not such a, such a, such a nightmare anymore. Well, even like your, um, your screenwriting app, um, arc, what was it called again? Arc, arc studio. Pro, arc studio. Yeah. I mean, like I didn't ask you at the time, what's the sync engine? Because now there's like a bunch of them and they're reliable. Right. It's like, it, it's not yeah. no longer like a gatekeeping thing where you're like, well, I, I need to know your sync engine before I can use your software. There's a lot of ways to do it now. Definitely. It's so much off the shelf stuff that you can use to bolt together a good piece of software and, and it's and it's all opaque. Nobody has to know about it. And that was the difference between the David Wayne interview where he had to use Google Docs, because at one point Google was the only game in town to now mm-hmm. where somebody can uh, a one man shop can plug into existing sync technologies and make a yeah. something, you know. And also, and Mikhail told me that Arc Studio uses the same sync library as as, um, as Google Docs does. Yeah, I believe it. So then it's real time. So if your co-writer makes a change, you can see it happen in the same moment. Yeah, and it's a weird psychological effect when you see somebody, you see your collaborator's cursor, you see their text as it's being input. Really, going way, way back in my tech history, the first time I can remember computers feeling like true magic in the sense that it wasn't just a self-contained unit, but it was an interconnected, you know, mesh of, of, of something larger, you know, worldwide. Yeah. My friend and I were both on our Quadra 660 AVs or whatever. He was in Ventura where he lived and, and I was in my, my dad's computer room, which we used to call <laughs> the, the office. Yeah. Um, and we both had this app running called Z term or application, sorry. Yeah. And Z term was just a basic terminal, but you could, and then a TCP IP, uh, protocol for dialing into the local ISP. I forget how long it took me to figure all this stuff out, Yeah, but we, we both connected to our ISPs. We got our 2,400 baud modems going and then we did, uh, and then the first time that I saw him typing to me in real time in, in the terminal, it was unbelievable like just like and we'd both been on telephones of course for our whole life we were telephone native yeah so it's not like this was this you know text um synchronous text in real time is a step backwards from synchronous voice in a weird counterintuitive way yeah but when you're in when you're entirely used to being the com- the computer is a screen in front of you and that's it then to open it up to the world outside of you is, is pretty phenomenal. It's pretty, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Transformational. I, I, for me, it was like the ability to manipulate the screen. Like I, sure. I think I'm a little older than you, but I wanted a computer so bad. My parents didn't have a lot of money. We got a used Atari 400, which was 
probably the worst computer in the history of computers. Yeah. You know, everybody complains about the butterfly keyboard. Uh, just take a look at the Google. I'll put a Google image in for the Atari 400 keyboard. And, <laughs> um, like the, like the, I think it was the A key. It, it was like a membrane with like yeah. some kind of thing you pressed on it, but the A key had kind of wore out. So I'd have to take a pencil eraser and press down really hard on it. <laughs> and then eventually it would engage and give me like six A's and then I'd have to backspace <laughs> to get an A, you know, but <laughs> every time you have to type your name. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Or, well, I was writing code on it, man. And there, there was a yeah. thing at the time on Atari called player missile graphics, where it was like more like, um, first of all, it had a great name for, you know, a 10 year old player missile graphics I'm in. And, mm -hmm. But it, it had the ability to directly manipulate um, pixels on the screen, and like the first time I did that, I um, I made a game. It was like a tail gunner. I, I was a tail gunner and a B seventeen bomber, but it was very, uh, it was very you know pixelated. But you know, and I draw I draw two lines to the center of the screen, like when you you know shoot the guns, and that was crazy. But you know, the the ability to manipulate the screen, it was like magical, and then I'm hooked, right? Sure, and. I, I was pretty young when we got our first Mac and, and so I feel like I was, I, I was kind of Nate, I was Mac native, even though we had an Apple an Apple two, um, yeah. before that, uh, the idea of manipulating pixels was not, I wasn't fully formed enough yet to be, um, to, to find that revolutionary the way that you did. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by FitBod. It's very normal for people to start considering their health and fitness around this time of year. But between balancing work, family, and everything else you've got going on, it can sometimes be hard to make fitness a priority. What you need is a program that works with you, not against you. And that's why you need FitBod. FitBod's algorithm learns about you, your goals, and your training ability, and it will craft a personalized exercise plan that's unique to you. And their app makes it incredibly easy to learn exactly how to perform each exercise. Personal fitness isn't about competing with other people. You don't want to look to others to try and stack up against them and do what they do. What you need is something that will work for you. That's when it will really stick and when you'll see the results you're looking for. FitBod uses data to create and adjust your dynamic fitness plan, and you'll have instant access to your own personalized routine in their fantastic app, so you can make progress on your goals from anywhere. I started using FitBod when we had the COVID shutdown because my gym closed, and FitBod for a year cost less than one month at my old gym, and I liked it better because it took the equipment that I had, designed exercises about what I was doing. I didn't have to listen to the super loud music or get yelled at by people, and I just really, really enjoy working out at home with FitBod. As I get better at certain exercises, I'll buy new equipment and tell FitBot about it, and it will start generating exercises for me with the new equipment. It's awesome. Everyone's fitness path is different, which is why FitBot does so much work to make sure they customize things exactly to suit you. They make sure to learn from your last workout so your next will be even better, whether you work out twice a day or twice a week. FitBot even tracks your muscle recovery to make sure your plan is balanced with a variety of exercises to make sure you're not overworking anything. The FitBot app is so simple to use and recently got updated with a fantastic new design with a brand new HD video tutorials, 
shot from multiple angles to make sure that learning each exercise is a breeze. And it also integrates with your Apple Watch, Wear OS Smartwatch, and apps like Strava, Fitbit, and Apple Health. Personalized training of this quality can be expensive, but FitBot is just $12.99 a month or $79.99 a year. But you can get 25% off your membership by signing up at fitbod.me slash MPU. So kick off the new year right and get your customized fitness plan at fitbod.me slash MPU and you'll get 25% off your membership. That's fitbod.me slash MPU for 25% off. And our thanks to FitBod for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So, Adam, I always like to finish up the show talking about, you know, favorite services or apps. Are there, are there any things that just bring you joy and delight lately that you'd like to talk about? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so my favorite notes app by far is Bear. This is, I think, if anybody wanted to, if if I were to perish suddenly and anybody wanted to know who I was as a person, they would just find my find my bear and... I think it's all it's all inscribed in there. Laid bare. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that's what the, that's how they should spell it. Um, but it's B E A R. Um, favorite notes app. Every time I open up Audio Hijack, it delights me. I use it for everything. You know, the Rogue Amoeba software for basically taking any audio source and directing it anywhere and doing anything with it and. You know, and then with uh, that and um, SoundSource, you know, another Rogue Amoeba product and Loopback. If you do media, those those three pieces of software are crucial. You know, also their Fission um, app. And it's another set of apps made by a small developer, super passionate about the platform, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's just core to the community. Paul Kafasis is one of the world's best guys great company making great tools for 20 years now. Plus. They've announced that they're coming out with a new version of audio hijack. That's going to allow you to script it internally. And wow. all of the podcaster, all the nerd podcasters like me are going nuts. Cause like now I will auto, I'll push a button. My, my recordings will be auto numbered and labeled and be, you know, everything is going to be just automatic as soon as that comes yeah. out. Can't Wonderful. wait. Let's see. I, um, you said services, right? Yeah. Go crazy. I'm very liberal with the interpretation of apps and services here. Yeah. Um, I don't know. My favorite, so for the, for our, for our you know, Web3 enthusiasts out there, my favorite wallet app is Rainbow. That's a great one. Even just for poking around and seeing what what is this thing we call crypto. Yeah. I, I tell you, I'm intimidated um, by it, honestly. The whole thing. Every time I read I, an I article. I totally get it. it yeah. It's intimidating. Every time you read an article, what, what it's were you just saying? like, I feel like, ah, oh, it's, it's just like, this is way beyond me. I don't like, it feels like putting my money in a hole and just not knowing if I'll ever see it again. <laughs> well, you know, it's not that different from typical investing. It's yeah. just way more volatile and you should stay away by the way. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a cryptocurrency enthusiast yeah, by any either. stretch, Yeah, but you know, there's a lot of promise there. That's that's on the way to sort of all. It's on a on a long road towards being fulfilled. Anyway, I think Sa- sandwich is involved in doing a little bit of explainish explainery sort of storytelling in a couple of these um, related fields. Yeah. So hopefully there'll there'll soon be a piece of media that I can point you to that maybe will um, shed some light on some of it, make you feel a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. That's let me goal. know. We'll put it up. 
one of I always say that one of my favorite apps is the um well it's now called the mindfulness app I think on the on the Apple Watch but um yeah mindfulness it used to be called breathe it was just this single purpose app on 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 the Apple Watch that would come up and remind you to breathe and then it would help you count your breaths and just take one minute in your day and then it would tell you what your heart rate was and that was it and just a simple reminder to, to, to breathe. Where, where do you find yourself using that? Oh, anywhere. Like I'm, you know, I'm driving, I'm sitting at home. Um, I, you know, if I'm not just like swamped doing other stuff and I can easily ignore it, if I'm in a space where I'm like, yeah, it would be good to breathe right now. I never regret it. Yeah. And I, and, and you know, it's got that, sim, it's got the, it uses the Taptic engine in the bottom of your Apple watch. So it creates that sensation of, um, as it's got this, these dazzling visual graphics of a, of um, like a shape kind of expanding and contracting the way your lungs will be. Yeah. It also gives you the haptic sensation of a balloon expanding and contracting. Um, it's just like a really well-designed experiential app. That's so single purpose driven. And, uh, and it's great. They kind of built it into a new app called mindfulness, which is, it's got some other stuff in here, like reflect. I don't know. They kind of overly complicated. I don't know why they did it because it was so perfectly elegant before. I think they're just trying to bring people further down that path, but I get it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and geez, I, I love, I was for the longest time, I was like an AirPods traditionalist. I only wanted the one where I could still hear the world Yeah. around me. And then my dad got an extra pair of, of AirPods pro with the noise canceling uh, you know, it came free with an iPhone or something and he gave them to me and those are my everything. I love the noise canceling and tuning out the world. I love that you can turn your head and the, um, if you're, you, you know, d depending what device you're on your iPhone, or I think even your, um, Apple TV and your Mac, um, if you turn your head, then the stereo separation will be spatial. So you're, you're here. Like if you turn your head to the right, then the sound is going to be in your left ear because that's the source of the audio. And I think that that's just like a delightful addition to an already perfect technology. Um, and it just, when you talked before about VR, having all of this cruft, when we were talking about VR, having being so laden with all this equipment and this heaviness to the experience that gets in the way, if you look at that spatiality that Apple's building into the AirPods, for instance, that's where we start to um, see this intentional reintegration of the real world uh, physics and the real, the real world sort of um, aesthetic and sensation, sensory reality coming back into the tech product that is going to make it that much more palatable than uh, when everybody is using it. Yeah, I'm convinced all that stuff is connected. I mean, yeah, most definitely. Well, well, Adam, I promise it won't be, you know, 10 years before you're back. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. And uh, I can't wait to hear where you go with the script you're writing. And and uh, we are all rooting for you. And uh, Thanks so much. It's really nice to just have so many friends like you that I enjoy talking with. And we can all sort of, the, the spirit of our original meeting is always intact, you know, that's that's just incredible to me. Yeah, you and I used to always bump into each other at like conferences and things. And I, I don't see you anymore. I think the last time I saw you was on a roof in Portland. 
But uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe it, it is really nice. Panic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is really nice talking to you again, and and we wish you all the luck. And I can't wait to have you come back to talk about how you're directing your first feature film. Oh, that'll be exciting. Tell us all your workflows for that. Will do. Okay, you take care. Uh, everybody who wants to learn more about Adam, where should they go? Go to sandwich.co is the company. Um, our new narrative division, sandwich.plus, uh, that I just announced uh, a couple days ago. And and then just adamlissigore.com is my vanity page that says has all the links to my things. All right. Have a great day. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, David.